we're continuing our series this morning, uh, we've just simply called uh, His Story. Uh, as you're preparing for that, maybe you have something you can take notes on. Uh, let me highlight a couple things. One is tonight is soak. And I want to encourage you uh, to be here tonight. Soak is the time that we pull away, we break our schedule, we come together and we worship and we pray and we seek God and, and we minister to the body of Christ. And so it's just an extended time. Uh, soak, if you've never been to a soak service, we, there's no offering, there's no announcements, there's no sermon. We come together and we worship and we pray and we seek God. And so it's a very open and free-flowing time. The Bible says that Jesus oftentimes withdrew to lonely places. And this is our way as a church to do that. Uh, we do it once a month on the third Sunday night. So I want to encourage you to be here. The other thing is uh, you've just been handed a card that uh, gives you a little bit of information about Orange Fest. So if you take that uh, and put it in your hand and just look at it, uh, it says November 2nd, 5.30 to 7.30. And the idea here is this is our new trunk or treat. This is our fall outreach and our way to show the families in our city, in our community, uh, that somebody somewhere cares about what they're going through, loves them. And so if you think about the divorce rate, if you think about the challenge of raising children, running a family in the 21st century, in this season of history, it is an absolute uh, a pressurized and stressful time. And I, don't, I can't think of a place where the enemy is working harder or where there's more pressure than on the family. And so this is a way for our church to reach out, to show our city that we care, that we love them. Uh, this is the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama. And so here's the, here's the issue with that. One day, you read all the parables in the Scripture, God gave certain things to certain people, and the parables always end like this. He gave them, he goes away, he comes back, and then he says, what did you do with what I gave you? And so the thing that God has given Kingwood Church and the churches of this county is an unbelievable opportunity to reach this city because it's the most unchurched county in the state. And so one day, our church will have to give an account, what did you do with the opportunity that I gave you? And so our opportunity then is to, is to uh, as you've heard our vision, to invite people to the table to host this event. It's an indoor, outdoor, uh, fun event. We need two things to make it work. We need candy and we need servants. And so if you'll go on our homepage, kingwoodchurch.com, if you've got a device, you can pull it up now. You'll see this scroll, this exact picture, scroll across the banner. Push it, go to the bottom, and there's a place you can volunteer or you can help us out with candy by either bringing it and dropping it off in the foyer or uh, donating, and then we'll take the money you give us and buy candy. Uh, if you look uh, in the foyer and online, there's actually a few places, teams, that we've asked for servants in, and those teams have already filled, so we've taken those opportunities off, and so you've got maybe five or six uh, options left. And uh, next week, we're going to show you a map of what the campus is going to look like. It's going to be like a, um, uh, an open house festival. We're going to be displaying a lot of the strengths and a lot of the great parts about Kingwood Church, introducing our city to our church and serving them in a practical way. So I want to ask you to join us that uh, evening in serving, and I want to ask you to help us with candy. Uh, there's a lot to be done, and there will be between four and 6,000 people here on our campus. Uh, every year when we go to our newcomers' lunch, and we ask people, hey, how did you find out about Kingwood Church? How were you introduced? Why did you come to Kingwood Church? More than any event 
in the five years I've been here, we've ever done probably three or four to one. People say, I first came to Trunk or Treat. This year we're calling it Orange Fest because we're changing the way, the way the event works. And so this is a phenomenal opportunity for us to communicate to our city. So I just want to encourage you to come and help us. Uh, and there's plenty to be done. There's something everybody can do. It's going to be a phenomenal event. Begin to pray. Think who you could invite. Uh, but particularly, we're going to have the campus, uh, the lights on, the doors open. Everything's going to be alive and moving that night and a lot of free candy. So it'll be a fun time, uh, but I want to ask you to join us. A lot of people dressed up in costume. It's just going to be a really incredible evening. Uh, we'll give you a little more information as we go next week. Uh, this morning we're continuing our series we've called His Story. In other words, we've said the Bible is God's story, right? It's not our story. It's not Abraham's story. It's not the story of Adam and Eve. It's not even the story of humanity. The main character in the Bible is God. And so we've said the Bible's his story. Last week we said his story transforms us. So the main point was let's don't read the Bible for information. Let's read the Bible for transformation. Read the Bible in a way that changes your life. And we've talked about this that this month in the acrostic. We've used soap. Uh, and we've given you a plan online. You can go on to uh, kingwoodchurch.com, go to the history tab, open that up, and you'll find a little uh, line that says, what is soap? You can uh, touch that, and it'll open up, and you'll see we've given you a scripture reading plan for October, a chapter a day. Read that chapter. Ask the Lord to highlight a verse for you. Take that scripture. Write down what you observe. That's the O. Write down how you can apply it in your life. So I'm not just reading to be informed. I'm reading to be transformed. I'm reading to understand how can I apply the things that God is saying to me to my life and then P stands for prayer. And so you just have a, a, you write down a couple of thoughts that you're praying. You're asking God to help you with what you've, what you've gained that day. What's changing you that day. So that's a transformational way to read the Bible. Now this morning, I want to continue this series and say, His story transforms us, but also His story protects us. So if you have something to write with, uh, take it out and... and uh, Maybe there's some thoughts you'll want to write down. In 1606, in a place that would later become known as California, a tiny seedling poked up through untouched soil. A year later, that seedling turned into a sapling. The London Company established the Jamestown Settlement in Virginia. A year after that, as the sapling became a young sequoia, Quebec City in New France was founded, a territory that would later be called Canada. After three more years, when the sequoia reached 11 feet tall, a group of scholars released the King James Bible. In 1618, when the tree was nearly two stories high, Europe engaged in a conflict that would later be named the Thirty Years' War. As the tree grew, America became a nation, fought a civil war, joined Europe in two world wars, put men on the moon, and suffered the attacks of 9-11. Through all the events spanning centuries, the seedling became a towering titan of the forest soaring 240 feet in the sky. Just a few years ago, that tree fell to the earth in a thunderous crash. It was the first of Yosemite sequoias to fall in many, many years. There had been no windstorms, there had been no floods, there had been no fire, there had been no lightning strikes, there was no evidence of animal or insect damage. So what caused this magnificent tree to fall to the earth? 
when uh, the forestry department did their research on what knocked this tree down, the conclusion came back, foot traffic. Foot traffic. The foot traffic around the base of the tree over years damaged the root system and caused the collapse. Even these giant trees that live for centuries can't survive if their root system is not protected. Now what I just want to suggest to you this morning is what's true for these sequoias is also true for us. We have a very delicate and fragile root system. No matter how tall we are, no matter how strong we look, no matter how powerful we appear, we have a very fragile and sensitive root system. And if it's not protected and not nourished, they'll come a fall. It may be one giant physical, emotional, or moral collapse, or it may be little by little by little by little rising tall in the sky 240 feet with the appearance of strength, but eroding away on the inside inch by inch. So how do we protect and how do we nourish our root system? Well, I'm just going to say to you in this series on the Bible, God's story, His story. The Bible is the way that we protect and nourish our root system. It is our feeder. It is our uh, life. It is our nourishment. It is our refreshment. His story protects us. It's God's story. We've said the Bible is the revelation of God. So let me give you three ways this morning that His story protects us. Here's the first one. His story protects us from wrong thoughts. Now, why are wrong thoughts such a big deal? Thoughts are a big deal because our lives are guided by thoughts more than anything else. What we act on, we believe. If you want to know what you believe, watch how you act and you can find out what you really believe. What you say you believe is not what you believe. What you do is what you believe. And so if you want to know what you believe, just become observant of yourself. You will act out what you believe on the deepest level. So Satan's strategy to get Adam and Eve to act wrong was to get them first to think wrong. And how did he do that? He did that by introducing wrong thoughts into their mind. He wanted to sell them a lie that appeared to be, watch this, a greater truth. I think one of Satan's greatest strategies is not always to say, hey, look, I've got a lie for you. What he wants to do to trick us is he wants to introduce something to our mind that seems like a deeper insight, a higher way of thinking, a, an intellectual reality, a greater truth, enlightenment. So the wrongful thinking that Satan wants to introduce to your mind is usually packaged in some form of greater enlightenment. Like, you know, this whole God thing is just a hoax. What has serving God ever, you know, got you? Uh, sort of like we caught God red-handed, we pulled the curtain back, and we saw the little man pulling the levers. So he says, of course, to Adam and Eve, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree. Why? He doesn't want you to eat from that tree because you'll be as smart as he is. Then you'll be enlightened. And there's the wrong thought. And he fills our minds with lies, and he preys on our weak moments, and he pulls on our emotions, and he systematically fills our culture with lies to continue to introduce wrong things. And when we believe those things, it ruins our life, and it ruins our relationship with God. So I was thinking, what are some of the wrong thoughts that Satan is introducing, that he is particularly 
preying on our weakness in our present culture. Things like this. There is no absolute truth. That wrong thought will lead you to wrong action. The Bible's full of errors and can't be trusted. The Bible is under the greatest scrutiny it's been under, the greatest criticism that it's been under in American history. Marriage can be defined many ways. You don't think that thought will change how you act? Sex outside of marriage is normal and expected. Pornography and nakedness is natural and healthy. Money is the key to happiness. The ultimate life is to have unlimited options. God won't take care of you, so you have to take care of yourself. Revenge is better than forgiveness. My life is unfair, so the rules don't apply to me. God can't forgive me because I've done too much. God is angry at me, and now I have to avoid him. You don't think that those thoughts will affect your actions? Affect the way that you behave, the way that you interact, the way that you believe? Those thoughts introduced and rooted inside you will change a lot of things. By the time you and I graduated from high school, we will have watched 16,000 hours of television. We will have uh, spent 14,000 hours in school. Now that's interesting to me that we spend more time watching television than we do in school. But 30,000 hours. Now if you go to church two hours a week, most of the time, by the time you graduate high school, you will have spent 1,500 hours getting spiritual help from the teaching of God's Word. Now think about that. 30,000 hours of culture and education versus 1,500 hours of spiritual help being taught and learning from the Scripture. Unless we feed the Scripture to our root system, we will drown in the information tsunami that we are presently in. When Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew 4, he was still using Garden of Eden tactics, which tells me his tactics don't change very often. I mean, by the way, he was, he was 1-0 coming out of the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, he won that one. He introduced the thought. So now here he is with the second Adam. Here he is with Jesus. Here he is thousands of years later, and he's going to attempt the same thing. He's trying to get Jesus to act independently of the Father, to take a shortcut, to think of himself first. And, how, and Jesus uh, gives us so much insight in how he responds. He's thinking, if I can get Jesus to think the wrong thing, I'll get Jesus to do the wrong thing. So three times Satan comes at Jesus, and he attacks him, and he says... You're starving, turn these stones to bread. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. If you throw yourself off uh, here, you know, the angels will come and rescue you and it'll be dramatic. And then everybody will know you're Jesus. I'm really just here to try to help you spread the word that you really are God. So show everybody, prove it, do something. Do something cool, do something magic, do, do something supernatural. And so he's tempting Jesus. And here's what's interesting to me. How does Jesus answer? All three times, Jesus answers the same way. He says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to test. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Where is it written? 
It's written in the revelation of God. What did Jesus use to protect himself? What did Jesus, what did Jesus spend his entire life nourishing his root system with? The word of God. The revelation of God. God had revealed himself as the God who did not operate the way that Satan did. So Jesus was able to say... Uh, 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 in the lies that the enemy was speaking to him, what is written is true, what you're saying is wrong. And the Bible tells the one true story. God challenges in the Scripture our assumptions, our misunderstandings, our wrong beliefs. God's story is a more accurate story of what's really going on in your life than anything else, than how you feel, than what you think, than what your family says, than what your history was, than what's on TV, than what entertainment says, than what a movie says, than what the news says. God's Word is a more accurate understanding of what's going on in our life than anything else. His story protects us from wrong thoughts. I remember years ago I was listening to I used to listen to Chuck Swindoll. How many of you remember Chuck Swindoll, Insight for Living? Love to hear Chuck Swindoll teach. And uh, I was listening to one of his broadcasts, and he told a story I've never forgotten. He said he was speaking at a conference once, and he had spoken for two or three days. He was exhausted. It was the end of the day. He'd been away from his family for some time. He got in the elevator, and he's in the elevator going up in a high-rise hotel, and the doors open, and this attractive woman walks in, and as they're standing there in the elevator together, she, she comes on to him. And she says, hey, gives him an opportunity. And Chuck Swindoll said, he said, I wish I could tell you in that moment, in the fatigue, in the discouragement, in the exhaustion that I lived in, I wish I could tell you that I said no because I was thinking of my wife or I was thinking of my kids or I was thinking of any of those things. He said, but in that moment of sheer weakness, what came to my mind was some Psalm 119.1, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And he said, in that moment, when nothing else would help me, when my own love and my own commitment and my own covenant and my own vows couldn't produce the strength that I needed, God's word helped me. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If the root system is not nourished and fed and protected, the tree is coming down. His story protects us from wrong thoughts. Here's the second one. His story protects me from extremes. There seems to always be a new thing, a hidden thing, a secret thing. And extremes come in all sizes and shapes and in their worst forms, they're cults built around a personality who has something that everyone else doesn't have, has charisma or has secret knowledge or secret insight or they've got the bat phone to God. You know, they've got a secret way to find things out about God that nobody else seems to know. Everybody else is sort of thick and unable and incapable. That's sort of how a cult works. In their lesser form, though, they can be misguided fads. Innocent? but still harmful because they keep us from going deeper with God. We're constantly distracted by what's the new thing, the next thing, the next insight, the next idea, the next 
revelation, the next whatever, and it keeps us, it keeps us sort of like uh, uh, old tennis shoes in the dryer on spin cycle. We're just going around and around and around and around, and we never plunge deeper. Our roots never, that tap root never drives down deep. When I was in college, uh, there was a local church in town where we were, and the big thing then was laughing revivals. You know, everybody would come for a long night of worship, and then everybody would just laugh all night. And, and uh, that was uh, supposed to be an expression of the joy of the Lord. And then when, later when we moved to another place in Florida, then, then the whole thing came through. Everybody was shaking. Everybody would just come and travail under the conviction or the inspiration or whatever of God. And, and then everybody would shake for a while. And then I can remember when I was a teenager in uh, 1988, there was a group that published a pamphlet, 88 Reasons That Jesus Is Coming in 88. Anybody remember that? Anybody at all? I remember coming out of church one Sunday and they had come over and stuffed them under all our wiper blades in the car in the parking lot. 88 reasons that Jesus is coming in 80. So if you really had that kind of information, what would be the right thing to do with it? Well, I'll tell you what uh, one group did with it, a giant group. What they did is they ran up all their credit cards. They went and spent a lot of money that they didn't have. They put it on credit card. Then they all ran over to Arkansas and stood on a hill and waited for Jesus to come back. 88. Now, I've often wondered um, how much interest they had to pay on those purchases. I mean, like, I wonder how long that took. I also wonder why anybody would think that an appropriate response to Jesus returning would be to go out and buy stuff for myself. How would that at all connect to the reality of who Jesus is? Shame, it's shameful. It's just embarrassing. It's shameful. Wouldn't a better response be, Jesus is coming back and I know the day, so let me share my faith? Or would it be to focus on myself more? Well, either way, it didn't work. It didn't work out. But they wouldn't be discouraged. In 1989, they printed another one. And it had all the mistakes they made in 88 and why they missed it. And then how he's going to come back in 89, and we missed these couple, two variables in the Greek or Hebrew, but now we got it all lined up, the plants are lined. Come join us on a hill, and we're still paying on our credit cards. <laughs> Eventually, something, maybe debt took over, because in 1990, they didn't print another one. And I don't know if you looked out the window, but it's 2014, and I hadn't heard any more pamphlets. When my wife and I were in college, uh, there was a girl there who, who God told her, supposedly, uh, who she was supposed to marry and who my wife was supposed to marry. We were not married at the time. And it wasn't me. And I thought, oh, that's what happened. Okay, well, we, we've missed it all these years. That, that's why we fight sometimes. That's why we have conflict. We married the wrong person. God told us. God told her who she's supposed to marry and it wasn't me. And so she told me and we were dating. And I thought, I don't even know what to say. How do I? Should we just quit now? I don't. It did lose a little credibility with me, though, because the girl who told her told her that God told her that she was supposed to marry Carmen. Anybody remember Carmen? <laughs> remember that? And God told her his ring size. And by the way, last time I checked, he's still single and old. Maybe you remember a lady more recently, a few years ago, that was sitting in a coffee shop, I think in Nashville, and she saw the image of Mary on a grilled cheese. Anybody remember that? By the way, that grilled cheese sold for $28,000 on eBay. According to ABC News, the second coming of Christ has already been spotted in the clouds by a 60-year-old man from Houston. 
who, by the way, has hundreds of followers and, gives, and those followers give offerings to support his cause. And the question I have is, when will the church learn to avoid these extremes? Well, if you read the Bible, probably not anytime soon. Most of the New Testament, many of the New Testament letters were written in response in order to correct some kind of extreme. 1 Corinthians was written because the church had taken spiritual gifts to an extreme. 2 Corinthians was written because some false apostles had gone to an extreme and were attacking Paul and his message. Galatians was written because the Jewish teachers took Old Testament teaching to an extreme. Colossians was written because they took spiritual practices to an extreme. So I'm just thinking if they did it then, (laughs) we're probably still subject to do it now. What about you and me though? What about the things that you and I have taken to an extreme or been sucked into an extreme in our own life, believing that something was true that wasn't true, captured by some insight that had no root, had no foundation? The Bible is God's predominant way of speaking to us. And even the best of us can be pulled away and sidetracked into some extreme and we're being force-fed information at the speed of light. So it's critical that you and I have that regular meeting time with God in His Word as He revealed Himself. Just like a car. Your car, what happens? You're going down the interstate, you take your hands off the wheel and it starts pulling toward the margin. Why does it do that? It's out of alignment. But you take it to the shop, you put it in alignment, you take your hands off the wheel, and it cruises straight down between the lines. You and I are the same way. We tend to get pulled. Life, the chaos of life, the information tsunami, the culture that we live in has a tendency to pull you and I out of alignment. And when we come back to the revelation of God in His Word, when we meet His presence fresh and new in His Word, we are pulled back into alignment. We're aligned with Him, and we, and we walk with Him and talk with Him and live with Him, and our root system is protected. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is the only book on earth God has inspired. Inspired means breathed into. You, you want to you read, when you read the Bible, God breathes on you. Do you remember when God created Adam and his form and his shape and his DNA and everything he needed to be a fully functioning human was there, but he wasn't alive? And then God went over and he breathed life into him. When you open the Bible, when you open the revelation of God, when you come for transformation and not information, God himself breathes on you. The breath of God is on your life. Here's the last one. History protects me from an unfruitful life. His his story protects me from an unfruitful life. John 15, 7 and 8 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now if you can uh, underline this, this is my Father's glory right here, that you bear much fruit. That you bear much fruit. It's God's will that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be disciples. God's plan is that we glorify Him by bearing fruit. But what does it mean to live a fruitful life? How do you know you're investing your life in the right things? 
I can't think of anything worse than getting to the end of my life and realizing I've spent my whole life on the wrong stuff. I've invested my time and my energy and my thought and, and the health that I have. I've invested myself in the wrong thing. And I have become eternally unfruitful. I can't imagine anything worse than that. But this is where the Bible helps us and protects us. The Bible tells us about the unfruitful things we can live in. The Bible tells us about selfishness and greed and lust and pride and materialism and sexual immorality and being an overactive life, a life that's all busy and, and never any uh, withdrawal, conflict-oriented, gossip, jealousy, bitterness, putting other things above God and living distant from God. Those are the, that's the kind of cult. Our culture thrives on that stuff. So I can be successful in life. I can have talent and power and fame and money and accomplishment, but still live an unfruitful life. If you back up to John 15, 5, the Bible tells us what a fruitful life is and how to get one and how to live one. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will be fruitful. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, that is a little misleading. Apart from God, you can do a lot of stuff. You just can't do anything that matters for eternity. You can do all kinds of stuff. And we do all the time. You just can't do anything that produces any fruit. The, the Scripture protects us from living an unfruitful life. So how do we live a fruitful life? Well, this just says it. A life that's close to God. The Bible describes as a fruitful life. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, if you live close to God, you will live a fruitful life. You will live a fruitful life. Galatians says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Living a life that is distant from God, Scripture defines as a wasted life. That's challenging, isn't it? Because I think about the seasons of my life that I walked either not with God at all or as a believer just wandered around my own way. That's, that's, that's sort of challenging to my soul. The Bible spares us so much regret as we follow God, as we meet with Him, as we live close to Him, as we remain in Him. God breathes on us and He reveals Himself to us. And Scripture says that is a path to a fruitful life. So God wants us to grow like one of those giant sequoias, 240 feet in the air, big enough to, to dig a tunnel through and a car drive through. That's God's vision for your life. That you would be strong and tall and fruitful and productive. But there's only a one way to do it. And that's staying rooted, protecting the root system. Now, I'm going to ask uh, Dalton if you'd come and join me. Every week, we've had someone read their soap, okay? Because, and a worship team, if you'd come too. Because more than anything, what I want you to get out of this series, 1,500 hours of Bible engagement if you only come to church. Versus 30,000 hours. And we didn't even include in there internet and all the other stuff. 30,000 hours. What I want you to get out of this series is, is that you read the Bible 
yourself. And you read it for transformation, not for everyone. So what I've had every week is somebody, this is our, oh, you have to stand by the soapbox. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, he didn't know my hang-up with the soapbox. This is our soapbox. You know what a soapbox is? It's a subject you get on and you can't get off of it. So we're on this subject, the subject of the Scripture. And I've asked Dalton to come and just read for us his Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. Go ahead. Okay. So um, my Scripture was, Such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but we are doing what pleases themselves, Romans 16, 18. Um, my observation was, I think this verse jumped out at me because on a daily basis I see so many people who are far from Christ. My application is, I, my application is to be a witness to these people to be a, and to be a light in my school in the world. My prayer is, God, please give me the courage and words to say when I go up to witness to someone. Is that great? Isn't that great? Here's what I'm telling you. If you'll read the Bible, God will talk to you. He will breathe on you. And you'll be challenged by His Word to say, how do I live that out? How do, what, what, how do I approach? God, give me the... Give me what I need when I approach someone to share my faith. Incredible. Give, give Dalton another hand. Thank you, Dalton. So would you stand with me this morning as our worship team comes? I want to invite you to join us. And I want to ask our prayer team to come. I, I want to invite you to join us in reading your Bible this month. We've set aside a Bible reading plan, one chapter for every day of the month of October. Uh, and we've given you a specific way to read. Um, ask the Lord to highlight a scripture for you. Write down what you observe about it. Write down how you could apply it. And then write down a prayer. So, as we go to prayer this morning, God's Word doesn't do any good unless you respond to it. The Holy Spirit moving in your life does no good. It doesn't change anything unless you respond. And so this morning, man, this is the moment right here. I'm going to ask you, if you will, um, every eye closed. If you can find a place, you can sort of get still. Let's just meet with God this morning now. I, I've, I've had specific uh, thoughts this morning. I really believe the Holy Spirit gave me about this moment if God's word has spoken to you today if God has breathed on you today you know in your heart you need God's help here's all I want you to do very simple maybe today you're struggling with wrong thoughts I mean to some degree or another that's true for everybody but specifically maybe you're dealing with fear or condemnation or guilt or temptation or, or wondering if God loves you wondering if God hears you wondering if, if you can even come to God now you know sometimes we just live so far that we feel like we've got to earn our way back sometimes we've lived such a dry existence we say could God be there for me now and the answer I want to give to you is yes yes he's here Yes, he's ready. And so this morning, if you're struggling with a wrong, with some wrong thinking, temptation or fear or guilt or worry, God's not going to take care of me. What am I going to do? I don't know how I'm going to solve this. You're dealing with those wrong thoughts. Man, all I want you to do is come to one of the prayer team and just say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm just struggling today. 
Today's a tough day for me, and I'm struggling. Maybe you're here and you specifically heard God speak to your heart and say, I'm inviting you to come closer. You've maybe lived distant, you've lived far away, you've lived separated from God, whatever. Maybe, you, maybe this is your first time to church in a long time. Maybe, it's, maybe you haven't read your Bible or prayed or met with Him any other time. But you're just not living that close to God. And God has specifically spoken to you this morning. And you've heard Him say to your heart, I want you to come closer. I just want to ask you if that's you. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. God is specifically, I'm telling you, I know that God is speaking in this room. And I know that He's calling and I know that He's inviting and if that's true, would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. God has spoken to my heart. I see your hand. God's spoken to my heart. And specifically, I know he's inviting me. Would you lift your hand? Just lift your hand. I see it. Yeah. Yeah, just lift your hand. I know that God is speaking. God is inviting me. He's calling me. He's drawing me. I see your hand. I see that hand too. And the other one. Thank you. The worship team is going to begin to sing in a minute. And I'm going to invite you to come for prayer. So if you lifted your hand or you didn't, or you just want to say, hey, I'm struggling with some thoughts today. And I want God's thoughts. Would you just come right now as the worship team sings that song? Perfect song. Would you come right now? You lifted your hand.